Have you ever been in a place of absolute darkness? And while I am going to get figurative with it, I'm speaking literally right now, just absolute, literal darkness. I mean, there's nothing. There's not even you know, a glimmer that's reflecting through a window, maybe the, the moonlight that there's you know, shining through a window, bouncing off something. And um, you know, when you're a kid and you'd put the blanket over your head, you could still see some light shining through. We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about you know, in a movie theater when the screen goes black and yet you still see all the cell phones lit up as people are texting or, or putzing on their phones. You know, I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about like, absolute pitch black. No sunlight. No moonlight, no starlight, no nothing. It's, it's very challenging to even get yourself into a place where it's that dark. Um, but one, one of the opportunities I had to be in a situation like that was when I went spelunking. Uh, if you're not familiar with what spelunking is, it, it's caving. Uh, how it got its name, spelunking, I'm sure, is a fascinating story that I don't know. And so if you know it and like to share uh, with the rest of us, by all means, let us know. But, um, so Splunking is in reference to caving, going down in a giant hole in the ground and just exploring around. And so I'd gone uh, caving with a, a youth ministry. Uh, I was a student at the time, and there's probably you know, about 12 of us that, that went down in this cave. And uh, when you get there, we went about halfway into the, the trip. There's kind of like a guide that takes you through certain things that he wants to show you. And we got this big, massive cavern, right? And it was a, at a place we could all stand up and, you know, we're not like, you know, balancing on ledges. We got a good footing. And he says, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to get together so you all know where each other is. And um, at the same time, we're going to turn off our headlamps. We had these lights that could like affix to your forehead. And we're going to turn off our headlamps for just a moment and just... Uh, just experience what it's like to be down in the cave without any light whatsoever. And so we do just that. We, we turn off the lights. And, and you ever been in a place where um, there's light and then you turn it off and you're waiting for your eyes to adjust to the light that's still in the room? I, I did that with my daughter. When, when, you know, we say goodnight. We turn off the, the, her overhead light and you know, just have the night light. And I was like, yeah, it's too dark. And I said, well, just give, him, give it a moment. Let your eyes adjust. And so you go through that process. And so you're in that place of, okay, my eyes are going to adjust to the lack of light. And it doesn't happen. I mean, it is just nothing. You, you quite literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. If you were to, you could be standing there like this, and you could do it to other people too, and you, you cannot see it. Even if you have like night vision goggles, all, all those do is amplify the ambient light that, that's around you, but there's nothing to amplify. It is pitch black darkness. You know, so we were on this journey, and uh, I always kind of seemed to fall in line with the, these uh, tour guides that would always be the ones that say, well, we don't typically do this, but let's go further. Because we got into the end point where we are supposed to turn around and head back out so you can make it out in time. And, and it also narrowed to a point where to continue going forward, you had an army crawl through this kind of, you know, literally between a rock and a hard place, uh, this, this narrow uh, opening, which also had water running through it. And so, you know, if you're, already, if you're not claustrophobic enough already, not, now you've got water running uh, at where you're trying to crawl. But it opens up into a, another bigger room. But instead of it being this, this high ceiling, it's actually got a, a deep basement to it. It, it, it creates a pool. And so you go in there through headlights, you can see what's going on. And so let's go in there. And so we go in there, and we, we get to swim around a little bit. Now, because of all this, um, we, we had to hurry back. Because we went further than we were supposed to go, and we stayed longer than we were supposed to go. And so it's kind of one of those things where the trade-off is we don't get the sightsee on the way back. You know, we're going to get packed up, and we're going to you know, get in a line, and we're going to book it. And, and when you do that, when you head out, you designate who's in the lead and who's in the tail. That way you know by the time you make it out of the cave, you know, did, did you get everybody? And so one of the leaders is like, hey, Steve, would you like to be the last guy? 
I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of cool, just a neat experience. I could always, you know, turn around and look back and not have anyone else there and just be able to take in, you know, the, the majesty of this cave. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go for it. And so everyone's going, and because the, the way into this little pool area was so narrow, it's like one person at a time is going, and, and we're booking, we're going quick. So one person goes through, the next, the next. And the last person before me goes, and I'm just about to get ready, and my headlamp goes out. Not even making it up. My light goes out, and I'm like, I'm like seeing the light of the person in front of me start to fade. And, and, and I, there aren't many moments in my life where I could say I had a true sense of, of fear and dread, but this is one of them. I, I mean, the, the darkness began to overtake me. It just in a split second, I, I was like, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, you don't stop to think about the fact that, okay, they're not going to leave without me, you know, that they know I'm in here somewhere. Someone eventually will come in and say, okay, he lost a light and let's go get him out. But your mind doesn't think that way in the midst of it because the, the, the darkness is overtaking you. And see, figuratively, I think we're, we're all at some point or another experienced things like that in our life where we're overwhelmed by the darkness, where, where there's a direction we're seeking in life and there's no light on it. We're not sure, you know, we have all these, well, it could be this or it could be that, but we, we have no insight. Where do I go? I feel lost. I feel surrounded in the midst of darkness. We feel helpless. We feel hopeless. We feel like there's no sign of resolution, uh, redemption, or healing. You know, maybe we're living our life in that reality. You can imagine if you were in that, that first cave where we turned off our lights on purpose, if you still wanted to navigate, you could kind of have that where you, you know, put a hand on the wall, and as long as you stay close to the wall, you could inch your way along. Um, you're still unsure of what's in front of you. But maybe we feel like we're going through a life like that. Where it's just this kind of, well, I can't see, I have no idea what's going on. I'm, I'm kind of just in, in the dark about life, about what I'm supposed to be doing here. But I'm just kind of making it up as I go. See, we are all in need of rescue in some way or another. And the fact of the matter is, is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. That, that there's a longing in our heart for eternity, for, for things beyond this world. Have you ever had someone say to you, there's, there's got to be more than this. That, that's something that I think we've all experienced in some way or another. Uh, King Solomon and Ecclesiastes will call that eternity on their hearts. Like God has written that this longing for eternal matters on our heart. And there's nothing in this world that can satisfy it apart from God. I think until we have that satisfied by God, there's this sense of darkness in our life. And so I'm at this point where my light headlamp goes out and the last person had just gone. I'm the last guy of the line. Anyway, it's like a perfect storm of, of, of issues going on. And all of a sudden, I, I remember, hang on, there's hope. I had this little flashlight, about yay big, just a, a one double A AA battery flashlight. It wasn't like a fancy LED. It was just, you know, the, the standard incandescent. And it been around my neck on a little string underneath my, my jacket. And, and this had been, you know, we, we swam in the pool. We crawled through the little passageway with the water. So this thing had been submerged in water multiple times. And I think it was already old and rusty before I, I even brought it in the cave. I'm like, there's no way this thing's going to work. And so I pull it out, and I turn it on, and it was dim, but it worked. And I'm like, all right, this little, this little pen light, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I mean, this thing is, is going to get me out of here. And it did. And it did. And it brought me through where I needed to get. And there were some tight spots and some, some uh, nervous moments. Um, but man, once you've experienced the absence of life, once you've experienced that darkness, I'm sorry, the absence of light, that darkness, uh, it gives you a new understanding, a new appreciation for being in the light. It was one thing then to be able to find the next person in front of me and kind of stay close to them to, to use their light as well. But I'll tell you, it, it was something else altogether. We finally began to see the mouth of the cave uh, with some of the light leaking in. And then we got to go up the stairs and get out of there and, and stand under the sunlight. 
and just be in a place where I can stretch and just have all this light around me. It, it was a new day. You see, light physically changes the appearance of everything. The way that we see everything changes because of light. Imagine another time that um, it's probably hard for us to recall, but you can imagine what it would be like when, when we were in the womb, just before we were born, in those final months where everything's developed and we're just uh, gaining size and, and developing a little stronger. Um, and it's probably very limited light, if any, in there. I, I don't know. I haven't done any surveys. Um, but, you know, you can't see much, you know, but you can hear. And, and they talk about all these studies, you know, they know the infants can hear the sounds of their, their parents or, or whatever sounds are going on in the world around them. You can put music, put the headphones on the belly, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they hear the, the, the internal organs of the mom, the heartbeat and the lungs and all that going, going at it. And imagine being in this warm, kind of enclosed place and, and, and feeling safe and secure, and then all of a sudden getting jammed down this tube, and now this burst of light, and it changes everything. And at first, you know, we, we're a little unstable, we're not really sure how, how to go, but as we begin to understand, begin to learn, begin to see, okay, oh, oh so here's the, the, a new visual to the voice I've been hearing, and we begin to see and learn new things. Light changes the appearance of everything when we come out of the darkness. And light also provides life in this world. We see plants will actually go to grow towards the sun. Have you ever had the opportunity to see one of those uh, uh, time-lapse photos of a plant growing? And you watch as it grows throughout the day, and you can see it moving from one side to the other. You watch as it grows through the season and how it'll go from one uh, direction to another as it's following where the majority of the light is coming from the sun. There's something that just the math nerd in me loves to talk about. It's called the Fibonacci number, the, the golden ratio is another thing they call it. It's this ratio that they've discovered in nature. Um, you know, some would say it just has a, an aesthetic that uh, is pleasing. You know, so if you're designing something using those ratios, it's supposedly supposed to look right and appropriate according to most people. But I think the reason it looks that way is because we see it throughout nature. We just don't even realize it. If you've ever seen a sunflower seed, how the seeds grow, they, they, they grow according to that ratio as they spiral out, um, which doesn't make much of a difference for this point. But we, we look at it going from the seeds to the leaves, you'll see where I'm going. If you've ever seen a plant or a bush that has leaves that grow out, you know, and then they kind of spiral out like a rose, uh, um, the, the ratio of each one is just offset the right proportion that no one leaf will ever fully cover a leaf below it. It'll never cover the ones below it. It grows in such a way that it can get the max light because light that brings life. If you've ever had a, a burning bush, not the biblical one where it just burns and God speaks to you through it, uh, but the, the, the ones you plant that, that then you know, turn red in the fall. And uh, if you've ever had one that doesn't turn red, I'm, I can tell you why. I can't tell you how, how to make things grow, but I can tell you how to kill them or when they're dying because um, I have a lot more experience with that when it comes to plants. Um, uh, if you have a burning bush that's not turning that vibrant red that people love, and that's why they get them, it's because it's not getting enough sunlight. It's in too much of the shade. And so what it's doing is it's saying, hey, I need more sun. And so it stays green so more photosynthesis can happen. And, and yeah, it's kind of a little bit of science you know, lesson here. But um, because there is life in light. And even us as humans, we, uh, we eat the things that receive the energy from the sun, and, and we even receive energy. You talk about that, that winter slump, because we're all indoors, you know, staying warm, and we, we miss out on some of the sunlight. There's life in it. So while well, I'm talking about physical properties, that light changes the appearance of things, that light brings life, there is a spiritual correlation that we're going to see here as we take uh, our next week into Jesus is. And we're going to look at a second I am statement from the book of John, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
As we think about the physical properties of light, I want you to see what would those uh, uh, spiritual properties be when we think about light. We think about what, what that means uh, for Jesus to be the light of the world. And then we're going to talk about, well, if Jesus is the light of the world, what does that mean for me? If this is who Jesus is, then what are the implications upon my life for how I should go and live because of who Jesus is? If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be here this morning, John chapter 8. We'd love to see the Word of God in everyone's hands, so if you need a Bible, take one of the ones that we have, um, or if even you know someone who needs one. Uh, it's a very um, disarming way to, to have a spiritual conversation with someone, is to give them a gift. Say, hey, would you like a Bible? I got one you can have. Or even to give a gift of prayer. Is there anything to be praying for for you? There's another great way to start spiritual conversations, uh, to, to genuinely express your care and love for someone. Um, so that's just a little, little side note there. But as you turn, John chapter 8 is where we're going. Let me give you some background of, of what's happening. So Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's teaching, and, and uh, they're talking about the Word of God and having some conversations. Uh, the Pharisees are there. The Pharisees, uh, if you're not familiar with who they are, they were the religious leaders at the time of Jesus' day, the Jewish religious leaders. And, and a lot of times, the majority of the Pharisees, you see, had issue with Jesus. We're going to kind of uncover that. We're going to unpack that uh, and answer that why. Um, but so the, the Pharisees were there, other Jews would have been there listening as well, um, as would have been their custom to come into the synagogue and hear the word of God uh, taught and then to discuss it. All right, John chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 12. We're actually going to do uh, verse 12 and 13. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. A couple things real quick here. We see that Jesus is continuing a conversation. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them. So hey, he's already been in conversation with them. If you were to flip back a little bit, you get the story about uh, them bringing a woman that found an adultery to Jesus. But kind of keep going before that story, and you see some of the conversations that we're having. Uh, and then they get to say, I got something else we want to talk about. And Jesus brings this statement out. I am the light of the world. Now, imagine you were there and you heard Jesus say that. What would your response be? Well, the Pharisees go on this complete tangent. They're like, hey, we have another purpose. We have other motives. And so, hey, let's talk about you bearing false witness. Your testimony is not true because uh, you are the only one bearing witness. And we're going to unpack that here in a little bit. So that doesn't make sense. That's okay. We're getting there. And so Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Follow me and you will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And, and basically, ultimately, what he's trying to move towards, if we continue to read the passage, is we see that he's moving, he wants you to understand his relationship with the Father. We see that he is the light of the world because he's come from the Father. God has given his Son as a way for us to be in relationship with him, and so he comes from the Father. He walks in step with the Father. He doesn't do anything that is not according to the will of the Father. And then he's going back to the Father. And we also learn that it is through Jesus that we have a way to be with God, that we can be with God the Father because Jesus goes back to the Father. And so ultimately when he says, I am the light of the world, follow me, he's talking about his relationship with the Father. I am the Son of God and I will provide a way, I will illuminate a way in which to be with the Father. And so when all of a sudden, the Pharisees want to kind of uh, go a different direction. Jesus is like, okay, I'll play your game. We'll go down your tangent. But hey, we're still going to be talking about my relationship with the Father. And so I encourage you to watch for that. So the Pharisees take them on this tangent. We see it in verse 13. And they say, hey, we just caught you in a contradiction. 
you're bearing witness about yourself. You're saying, hey, I'm the light of the world, and, and you're the only witness to that. You're saying, hey, this is, this is who I am. I'm the light of the world. Well, why is that an issue? Why is that a contradiction? Why do they even want to ki- catch him in a contradiction? Well, the reason that they want to catch him in a contradiction is because they, they want to show him to be false. They want, they want to uh, disprove him or, or debunk Jesus. Because if, if you can find, um, hey, here's how you're, you're not in line with the law, they can dismiss him and say, you know what, you're, you're no one that we need to pay any mind to. And so they keep trying to catch him in that. Because he's challenging their understanding of who God is. He, he's challenging their understanding of what it means to live a life in relationship with him. And, and so they don't know what to do with that. So, okay, we've got to debunk Jesus. We've got to disprove that, that, you know, his claims. In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus says, I told you that you, were, that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is making a claim to be God in this. He's making a claim to be able to forgive sin. The English translations have that towards the end that, where it says, unless you believe that I am he. But in all honesty, that, that he really doesn't need to be there. Really, what, what he's saying is, uh, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. They, they put the, the he in there for the English translation just to kind of understand it better, but it really kind of, in my opinion, I would say it takes away because we understand what it means to say I am. There's a connection there with the person of, of God. We go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where we have a, a, the, the biblical burning bush where uh, God speaks through a burning bush that literally is engulfed in flames but doesn't burn up, and then a, a voice speaks to Moses um, here's the voice of God, and basically uh, he sends Moses out on a mission of God. He says, I want you to go to Egypt, I want you to, to free my people, I will speak for you, I, I will go with you, trust me. And at one point Moses says, well, what, what should I call you? They're going to say, who sends me, and well, what, should I, what should I say? And his response there in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, say, I am has sent you. I am has sent you. And basically, in that statement of I am, which Yahweh would be the Greek there, is talking about, I'm sorry, the Hebrew. Are we talking about, uh, I always have been, I am now, and I always will be. And so that would be a title they would have known God by. And so when Jesus here is saying, if you believe that I am, he's saying, if you believe that I'm God. Now, some commentators would say that that's too much of a stretch, that Jesus isn't trying to make a connection here to the Old Testament of Exodus 3. They'd say he's just making the connection back to his statement of, I am the light of the world. And so if you believe that I am, if you believe that I am the light of the world, then you will not die in your sin. But even there, has all kinds of connections. where He's building off of the understanding of his audience, where the Jewish audience would have been at a time of understanding. By saying that you are the light of the world, you're saying that you are the way to the Father. You're saying that you are in relationship with the Father. They would have had the imagery of their ancestry where when they were led out of Egypt, uh, out of bondage, and then they uh, wandered through the desert for 40 years, each day that they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So when I think about the light of the world, they would think about the light that was uh, sent off from the, the, the pillar of fire that led them to the promised land. This is a time in uh, Jewish culture where they'd be preparing to celebrate the Passover and so they would have the, the lampstands would be illuminated within the, the synagogue there. And it's been said that when they get them all lit up for the festivities, that it would light up courts throughout, throughout the city. And so he's talking about being the light of the world. There's that con- the connection there to the temple, that he'll 
direct people towards God. We see that same I am in, in verse 28 if we keep on going. Um, it says I am. Again, it says I am he, but we can really disregard that he. He's making this association uh, with the name of God. And so basically, they're trying to debunk him because he's making this claim to be God. Imagine there was someone who was a great authority in your life who then all of a sudden said, oh, by the way, the things I'm sharing with you aren't for me. These are, these are from God. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm actually the, the son of God. How would you respond to that? Like, oh, wacko. No, thank you. Don't want to hear what you're saying. You know, I don't want what you're selling. But all of a sudden, if there's things they're able to do and show that, hang on, these aren't just words. These aren't just empty claims, but no, he really does have this power. He really does understand these things. He can do what only God could do. It might change our mind. It might say, okay, tell me more. But instead of, of saying, let me investigate this, the Pharisees set out to debunk it. And so what's this contradiction that they're referring to? Well, see, earlier in the conversation, going back to John chapter 5, verse 31, uh, they, they'd heard Jesus say this at an earlier time, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So what they're saying is, Jesus, how can you say uh, in a previous conversation that if you bear testimony to yourself, that you say this is who you are, but no one else can back it up, you're saying that it's not true. But over here you're saying that you're the light of the world and no one else is backing it up. So we got you in a contradiction. But the problem is, is they don't understand the context uh, of that first statement that he said. They're just looking at that one statement. They're not looking at the whole what he was trying to communicate. And when we understand that, we see that he wasn't saying that, if I'm the only one saying this, it's not true. What he was saying it, what he was saying is, if I'm saying this apart from the Father, he's unpacking that the Father and I are one, and so if I say something apart from the Father against the will of the Father, then I'm false. One way you can think about this is he's not so much saying uh, that if I alone bear witness, it, we almost think of it as if I bear witness apart from the Father, it would be false. But see, they're not interested. In it. They're just looking at that one line that he said. They're not putting it in the context within the message that he was speaking. Let me give you an example of what that would be, uh, be like. Say you're, you're having a conversation and uh, you, you know, you're at a coffee shop and all of a sudden you know, I come in with a British friend and we sit down behind you, and so you kind of hear some of our conversation, and you hear me say to my British friend, uh, who, if you're not familiar, when they have flashlights, they call them torches. Just an everyday flashlight is called a torch uh, over there. Um, and so, say we're having a conversation about flashlights, and I said, I don't call it a flashlight. I don't, I don't call it a torch. I don't say torch. I say flashlight. So you heard me say, I don't say torch. But then all of a sudden, the next day, you find yourself in a cave. You're not sure why you're there. Something led you into this cave, and you have no light. And next thing you know, here I show up with an actual log that's on fire, which I call a torch. And I say, hey, here's a torch. You need light to get out. Let me show you the way out. Take this torch, and let me rescue you. And then you said, Steve, I heard you at the coffee shop the other day, and you said that you don't say torch, and you just said torch. And so you're contradicting yourself, so there's not really a torch there. That, that, that's almost the absurdity with which the Pharisees are, are reasoning. They're the saying, they're taking something completely out of context. They're saying, well, you said that, that if you say it yourself, then um, it can't be true, and so you're saying you're the light of the world, so you're not the light of the world. So here you have the, these religious leaders 
standing before Jesus, the Savior of God, the Savior of all men. And they're saying, nope, you're not the light of the world. I mean, it's like bringing a panel of blind judges to an art competition, that they can't see what's before them. And Jesus affirms his testimony of, of who he is. We see if we continue in the text, John 8, 14 and on. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So now he's kind of unpacking that where I've come from and where I'm going. He's saying the Father who sent me. So he's saying that he's the Son sent from the Father, and that's where he's from. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. He's saying I'm the one that says I'm the light of the world, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So he's saying, hey, even this whole, like, you know, need to have two people bearing witness, we got that. I and the Father are, are both saying that this is who I am. So Jesus is the light of the world. And so if Jesus is the light of the world, what's that mean for us? Well, I think we look at the text uh, of John 8, 12, where it says, you know, I am the light of the world. Uh, follow me, and you will not be in darkness, but have the light of life. So let's unpack that a little bit. So first we need to follow Jesus. Because he is the light of the world, it is our response to follow him. And there's a couple ways that we can follow him. First, it is, if Jesus is the light, think of light in the sense of how it is that, that new life of a breaking dawn, of a new day where that light comes over the horizon and you see light where there once was darkness. And it pushes back the darkness. Each one, you know, some of us here have given our lives over to Jesus. We've surrendered our lives to him. And some of us, maybe we're not at that place yet. We're still investigating who Jesus is. And if that's where you're at, I'm glad you're here. This is a safe place to ask questions. I'll say this every single week uh, until you're annoyed with me and just tired of hearing it, but it's true. This is a safe place to ask questions about the Bible, ask questions about Jesus, and to come to know who he is as you take the next step in your journey. And so we come to this place where all of a sudden we, we need to make a decision. We need to acknowledge who Jesus is. Either we believe he was a liar or we say, you know what, I believe he is Lord. I believe he is the Son of God. And if I believe in him for, for forgiveness of sin, then yes, I, I will be in eternity with God. And when we do that, it's like a new dawn breaking where all of a sudden that, that panel of blind judges, our, our eyes are open. There is a new light in our life. And it's a new life that's begun. We see this again in the text as well as in another story we're going to share here in a moment. We see apart from Jesus that we will die in our sin. And the, the death Jesus is talking about is a spiritual death. Meaning once we die physically, then boom, that'll be the end. We won't go to be in eternity with God uh, or to be in heaven with our Father. John 8.21 says this, So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That sounds pretty harsh. Is he saying that, that we can't get to heaven through Jesus? Well, he's speaking specifically to those who, who don't believe that he's the light of the world. Basically saying, apart from me, this is what's going to happen, that there is a death. That will come. There'll be a spiritual death. You cannot go where I'm going. You cannot go to be with the Father apart from me. But there is hope, and the hope is found in, in, in Jesus. He, he's this unless. 
It's not the end of the story. There's an unless. If you're familiar with the story of the Lorax, that's how the story of the Lorax kind of ends, and that's kind of the pivotal moment. It has this, this, this stump, and it says unless on it. And the story of the Lorax is basically this guy comes into town, and he finds these trees, the truffula trees, and the tufts of the truffula trees. He can harvest them to make these sneeds, which everybody needs. Of course, everybody needs a sneed. And so he, he makes these, and he, he biggers and biggers his, his factory and makes more and more. And he has to chop down more trees, and so he has to chop them down faster. And so he makes a five-tree chopper whacker. I forgot the book at this point. But um, so he makes all these things, and basically he just you know, mines the forest, and so all the animals have to leave because they have no place to live, and all the, the gloppity glop and schloppity slop that takes over uh, the town and, you know, or the land, and now it's just kind of this desolate wasteland. And it's almost a sense of saying, there's no hope. We've destroyed it all, unless. And he gets this, unless. And there's still hope. There's this one last truthfulness seed. If there, was, if there was someone that would care enough to plant this seed and care for it and to, to turn around and go the other way, to change the direction we've gone, there'd be hope in that. And so in that same way, that story, we see that there's an unless John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am. Jesus is saying, unless you believe that I am God, unless you believe that I am the light of the world, unless you place your faith in me and trust in me for salvation, we will die in our sins. We'll be separated from God. So I know I said that the Pharisees were kind of the main adversaries of Jesus when he walked this earth, um, but it wasn't 100%. There were some that were, were curious and were investigating more about who Jesus was, and one of those was, goes by the name of Nicodemus. We see his story a little bit in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus wanted to have more conversation with Jesus and learn more, uh, but he also was, was kind of afraid to see, you know, who would see me with Jesus, and if they did, what would they think, and, and you know, what would I, what, how would, I be, would I be persecuted because of that, or be thrown out? Uh, and so he went in the cover of darkness and he goes to Jesus and has a conversation with Jesus about his teachings and Jesus gets to this place where he's talking about being born again and Nicodemus is so caught up in the physical world that he misses the figurative uh, that, that Jesus is teaching about altogether. He's like, how can I be born again? I can't go into my, my mom's womb and be born again. That'd just be weird. It doesn't even work. He's like, no, it's about it's a spiritual rebirth. We see this in, in John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so we need to be reborn in the Spirit of God. That's believing that he is the I am, surrendering our lives to him. And when we take that step in our lives, there is a new day that dawns in our life. You see, the closer we follow to Jesus, the more clearly we can see him. The closer we follow to him, the more clearly we can see him. Have you ever got dressed in the dark before? You had, maybe you had to get up and, and out of the house real early before the sun came up, and for whatever reason, you didn't want to turn the light on. There's others in the house, and it would have woke them up, and so you, you left the lights off, or maybe you just kind of had that confidence of, I know what I'm doing. I know where my stuff is in the house. I don't need the lights. And, um, so you get dressed, you get ready, and you get in the car, and, and, and you're on the way for your day, and all of a sudden, the, the light begins to kind of come up over the land, or you, you turn a light on at some point. Hopefully, it's at home instead of at your office, and you realize that one shoe is brown and one shoe is black. You're like, oh, I thought that felt a little weird. Or you realize you got a tear in your pantyhose. Or you realize you're wearing pantyhose, guys. You're not sure how that even happened. You, know. you realize that something's off. One of the things that happens to me all the time, and this is even when I get dressed in you know, full sunlight, or not like, yeah, go outside and get dressed. That's kind of weird. Even when I get dressed in full light, um, 
Oh, my neighbors are moving. Um, this always happens to me. It always happens at weddings, too. Getting prepped for weddings when I always find this. I'll have my suit on. I'll go take my suit coat off, and I'll look down, and I'll realize I have a stain on my shirt. And it's a clean shirt. It's just it's a stain. It's just, you know, nothing washed away. And I'm like, oh, goodness, you know. I didn't see it when I was getting ready. But the closer we get to the light source, the more those things are revealed. The more we get closer to the light source of Jesus, the more those things are revealed in our life. This explains how we can give our lives to Christ and instantly see some of the things in our life that don't match, some of the things in our life that have stains and, and, and marks that Jesus wants to clean up and, and change. It also explains how we can be walking with him for years and still constantly each day find new ways that God's working in our life, new things that he's trying to teach us or new ways he's trying to refine us because as we get closer to him, new things come into the light. What was the last area of your life that you felt Jesus was shining light on? Where you felt like, oh, you're right, Jesus, there is a stain there. How did you respond? It was like, oh, let's get this shirt off and let's put a, a new shirt on. Yeah, this, 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 you know, I got this backwards. I'm, I'm off in this. What was the journey like? I think sometimes we say, no, but I like this shirt. I like the way I'm living in this aspect of my life. It's comfortable. It's the shirt I've always known. And you want me to change it because this is a stain? You want me to change the way I live my life because as I'm getting closer to you, I'm seeing you know, some of these ways that I'm off and how you'd want me to live? Or did we surrender it to him? So because Jesus is the light of the world, we need to follow him. And that's both in that initial step of uh, giving our lives over to Christ and in that continual walking with him and trying to be closer to him so we can see more clearly. And, and when we do that, we will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And, and we're going to break these apart and unpack them a little bit, but we can't separate them. We still need to see that these are uh, uh, hand in hand. These go together, that we will not walk in the darkness because we have the light of life. Uh, one explains the other, that we can't be in the darkness because we have light. We have light so we can't be in the darkness. So let's unpack that a little bit here as we wrap up. So we see Jesus as the light of the world and accept that reality that the light has been turned on for us. We, we see things anew and will not be turned off. There's a guarantee of our stance before God because of Jesus. The darkness cannot hide from the light. Even the smallest light on a horizon has the ability uh, to pierce through the darkness and push the darkness back. It's like when our eyes are open to the truth of Jesus, they can never be shut again. When we've been made clean and are righteous by faith through grace, by surrendering our lives to Jesus and trusting in him, believing that he is the I am, that he is the I am, the light of the world, that he is God and is sufficient uh, as a sacrifice for our sin. When we take that step, that can't be undone. We don't have to be afraid that, am, am I still forgiven? Will God still accept me? If you've given your life over to Jesus, it's a guaranteed you we no longer walk in darkness. And I know that we still live in this world. I, I know there's still challenges each day and there's ways we need to grow and, and surrender our lives to Christ. And, and as we get closer to Jesus, we see he refines us and, and puts light on our stains and puts light on the areas of our life that we need to take off and the new things we need to put on. But in the midst of that journey, we don't need to wonder. We don't need to be afraid. Am I still good with Jesus? Am I still seen as righteous in the eyes of God? Because we don't walk in darkness anymore when we trust in Jesus, when we see him as the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5-7 says this about that. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's not saying that we're without sin. It's saying we're cleansed of that sin. And so as we walk through this world and we make mistakes, we repent and we go to Jesus who is the light of the world and there's no darkness in us because we've been forgiven by Jesus. This also, I think, illuminates a next step that we might need to take in our life. Maybe there's some things in our life that we've tried to block from the light. We've tried to, we don't want them to be revealed. We want them to remain secret. There's things in our life, oh, no one else really knows about this, but, you know, I, I can't tell anyone because then that would change what they think of me. Or, you know, um, this, this is just, these, these are my little secrets. I'm trying to keep them under the rug, out of sight, put away, uh, away from the light of God. If you've got some of those areas in your life, I would encourage you to expose them to the light of God. First of all, he already knows. You're not going to surprise him by saying, hey, God, here's my deep, dark secret. He already knows what's going on in your life. He wants to walk with you as he moves you from the place of shame and guilt over whatever that secret is to a place of freedom in life. Another thing we can do is to confess that to one another. Do we need to confess our sins to each other to be forgiven of them? No, forgiveness is found in Christ and Christ alone. But we see we're taught in James chapter 5, uh, there's a value in confessing to one another. There's a value in being in fellowship with one another. We see James five sixteen. therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So if there's areas of your life where you've tried to let them stay in the dark and keep them uh, shielded from the light of God, first of all, know that we can't. He already knows. But also, we can take that next step and confess them to others and then to walk together with each other. It's kind of like saying, hey, come here. i got to tell you something. Put my pants on backwards. I'm sorry, I, don't, I don't want anyone to know, but I've been trying to fake it. Can you help me with this? I, I know I'm being, it's like, those things are so embarrassing, we don't want to tell anyone, but sometimes we just need someone. To, can you hold this towel up while I switch my pants around? Yeah. We've got to do life together. We've got to confess to one another, love and, and walk with each other. And as we walk closer to Jesus, and he reveals areas of our life that, aren't how he would desire. We can walk with each other, repent and turn and go his way. So we will not walk in darkness because we have the light of life. See, in Jesus, there's, there's uh, an example of how to live. He's given us an example of life. He lights the path for us and we can walk with him because he is the light of the world. We can walk with him. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I was in the cave and I got through that really narrow portion where I said my little pen light um, that, that really was pretty dim, the second I caught up to other people, I guarantee you, I was right on their heels. Because I knew the closer to them that I was, I, I could share in their light. And so as we walk with Jesus, his light illuminates our path. And so if we stay close to him, if we stay close with others who are on that same journey, it will illuminate the path for us, the direction we need to go. If there's an area of your life where you're like, I just don't know what to do, have you talked to God about it? Have you talked to his people about it? And you may say, yeah, I, I have, and I'm still not sure. Okay, yes, there's a, there's a place for processing and trying to seek out and, and uncover wisdom. But first, we've got to have those conversations and allow God to speak through them. 
we have the light of life. We have an example of how to live. And see, when we expose all of our lives to the, life of, uh, to the light of God, it changes how we see everything. We go from a place where we look at members of, uh, of the opposite sex a, a, as a, a mental playground for us to, to think whatever we want to think to where all of a sudden we begin to see God's perspective. When God shines light on it, we see, oh, wait a minute, this is an image bearer of, of the Almighty God. This is a child of God who, who is, is worthy of, of respect. And, and you know, so I'm going to do everything I can to, to fight lust and fight temptation and to see them as they truly are. We see that change happening in our lives. We, we no longer uh, look at our finances and our material things as an opportunity to hold power over someone else or as an opportunity to be able to say, hey, I, I don't need anyone else because I got all my things and, and I, I can care for myself. We can transition from that and then see, you know, expose the light of God to that, uh, upon that. And all of a sudden we see, okay, these are things I can use to care for others and, and uh, to make Jesus known by the way that I, I use what he's blessed me with. And our perspective changes as we, see, we acknowledge that Jesus is the light of the world. Maybe we go from a place of seeing life as temporary, seeing life as meaningless. And I think we, people fall into this category and they go one of two ways. Either they say, life has no purpose or meaning, so let's just end it. Or they say, life has no purpose or meaning, so let's just do whatever the heck we want. But we expose that with the light of God and we see the truth that there is purpose in life. There is an eternity to live with God and a purpose of, of living for him. And it changes how we see everything. Even some negative things like trials and despair and loss, which apart from the light of God, light of God are just that, a trial, despairing, and a loss. But when we expose that to the light of God, all of a sudden we see that there's an opportunity to make his name known uh, in our trials. There's an opportunity to grow stronger as we work through our despair. And despite loss, we can be confident that we are satisfied in Jesus no matter what we may lose in this world. And we can continue to find joy and hope and peace in that. Not only does the light of God change how we see everything in our life, it also changes us. We close with this, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When I got out of that, that jam in the cave, it wasn't me. It was that little light that led me out. As we move forward and be a light to this world, it's not because of who we are, but it's because of Jesus in us that we can be a light to this world. And so as we head out from this place, let's go and share that with others and shine light into this world to tell people about Jesus and why we, why we believe that he is the great I am. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God, and we love and we thank you for this day we've had to come together, and we just pray that your name would be glorified through our actions. We thank you that uh, we have security uh, as we walk with you, as we trust in you as our Lord and Savior, that we can know that our eternity is set with you, that our eyes aren't closed once they've been opened, that the light isn't turned off once it's been turned on, but that we can see you for who you are, Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Messiah, the Savior, we can trust in you for the forgiveness of sin. And I thank you as we walk with you, as we walk closer to you, Jesus, that you illuminate parts of our life that need a change. 
you provide us with other people to, to walk with and families and spouses in the church family. Father, we ask that you would just be about refining us and that here at Meadowland we would see lives changed for Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. If we haven't yet already, Father, let us surrender our lives over to you. Let us say, Jesus, we believe you are God. We believe your payment on the cross was sufficient for my sins, for my mistakes. I trust in you. I repent, which means I turn and go the other way. Reveal all that you would have me see in my life because you are the light of the world. And then walk with me as I seek to become a, a disciple of yours, chasing after you, being like you. For those who have already given our lives to Christ, I thank you that you walk with us, Father, and that you are patient as we become a stronger disciple. Let this be a place where we see lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. You are a great God, worthy of all praise, and so we will lift your name on high. Amen.